Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I'm joined by Sarah Brown, Jenny Underwood, and Tom Ferris to talk about opportunities to explore native culture and art in Oklahoma, and why it's so important to consider not only the history of indigenous people in our state, but also the vibrancy of native people and culture in our communities today. Welcome, I'm so glad to have each of you here. Thank you. Thank you. So before we dive into this conversation, I'd love to start by telling our listeners a bit more about each of you. We're really fortunate to have you guys with us today. Sarah is a citizen of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. She has a master's in library and information studies and works as a public librarian where she focuses on providing diverse and meaningful programs to the community, including a brand new indigenous story time we'll hear more about coming up. Sarah is a mother of two, an avid reader, and a proud member of Matriarch, a local nonprofit that focuses on educating and empowering indigenous women. She enjoys learning about traditional Choctaw ways and works to pass them on to her children. Jenny is marketing and communications manager for First Americans Museum, scheduled to open in Oklahoma City in September, and a member of the Comanche Nation of Oklahoma. She has more than 20 years experience helping nonprofit organizations at the intersection of faith, social justice, and bettering the human condition to develop and implement strategic communications plans. She's helped organizations like the Indian Law Resource Center and the Oklahoma Indian Missionary Conference of the United Methodist Church raise the visibility of their work and critical issues impacting indigenous communities, resulting in policy change, new partnerships, and increased funding. Tom has been immersed in American Indian art his entire life. The child of passionate collectors, Ferris spent a good deal of his formative years in various museums, galleries, and artist homes. Having such intimate contact with the genre, Tom found inspiration for his own growing artistic aptitude. A member of the Cherokee Nation and Oto Missouri tribe, he draws from his culture and lifelong influence of American Indian art to create his works. He's manager of Exhibit C, Gallery and Gifts, has exhibited at the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Indian in Washington, D.C. and New York City, and received awards from a number of nationally acclaimed art shows. Again, I'm so happy to have you guys here today. And this conversation was kind of inspired by an article in Metro Family's most recent issue called Teaching Beyond the Land Run that focuses on why the longtime tradition of holding land run reenactments in our schools can be so harmful to native kids and families, as well as ideas from local experts about alternative opportunities to teach Oklahoma history in a way that centers the indigenous experience. So to get us started along those lines, I want to ask each of you to share whether you have memories of those kinds of land run reenactments as a child and how your families handled that and then why it's so important that both native and non-native children have the opportunity to learn our state's history in a way that includes and centers the indigenous perspective. Sarah, will you start us off? Sure. Um, so I definitely remember doing land re reenactments whenever I was a kid. Um, and I can never remember there ever even being a mention of natives, not 
in passing, not any specific tribes. It was always just centered around this idea that this was all just empty land that was up for grabs and it was such a great thing. And, you know, we would go on the, you know, outside and we'd all rush around and like, we'd learn how to square dance for like weeks in PE beforehand. And it really, at the time, like my parents, I mean, my dad is white and my mom is the one that's native, but she's never been connected to culture. So it didn't really matter to her. And it took me many years before I ever learned the history. And it was really just because I did all the learning and I was the one that connected um, with people so I could figure out what my real history is. So it's just so important because it takes a whole chunk out of who you are if you're not learning about these things. And it can really kind of like hit your identity a little bit, um, especially if you're not growing up really traditional or if you're an urban native where you're not close to your tribe. My tribe is three and a half hours away in Southeast Oklahoma. So I've made sure that it's not happening anymore for my kids. Um, I, I am the parent that went to Indian education was like, hey, guess what's still happening in these schools around here? And now it doesn't happen anymore, um, which I'm really proud of myself for. But it's, it's just so important to have that full understanding of what happened and how it happened and that there were good guys and then there were bad guys. And then there was people that didn't know any better too. And just understanding all of it, it's just so important. I love that, Sarah. I love hearing about your advocacy. And I think it's so important to understand that even for people who didn't grow up traditionally, that you still have an opportunity to reclaim that part of your history and heritage. Jenny, what about you? Well, back in my day, no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I mean, I too, I grew up here in Oklahoma attending um, elementary schools in Norman and, um, and we did land run reenactments um, every year. And I had a father working in Indian education um, his whole career. And so while well, all the other kids got to dress up like the pilgrim, you know, like um, with, the, with the bonnets and the dresses, we always had to dress up as Indians. <laughs> with their rare or traditional regalia on and go to school that way and it and it created an interesting you know I was proud of who I was you know as a as a native person indigenous person um but it also created as a kid it creates this doubt this level of um you know and why why am I different why am I separate what you know so it's not just the act of the landron experience itself but um you know uh, representation matters authenticity matters and when you are celebrating only half of the story, um, you're, you're missing a lot. And so for the kids, the other native kids and indigenous kids, we just kind of, you know, had to just get through the experience. Um, but it, it, it definitely impacted us in a certain way. You know, um, why do I have to go as an Indian? Why can't I be like everybody else? You know what I mean? So there's, you know, there's a lot of things that, that came into play with that. And, and it still happens today. Um, you know, uh, there, well, I still see the um, the fun of staking out land claims and those kinds of things, but I think um, we have to be authentic in the way that we represent history, 
And um, even though it seems like it's happened so long ago, that representation matters and it's still impactful to our indigenous students today or ind indigenous kids today. And I think that's where we got to start, you know, pausing, like Sarah said, and looking at why are we doing this and what impact are we having and are we are we being authentic and, and telling the, the whole story? So, you know, that's part of what First Americans Museum's goal is, is to add an authentic perspective to history, you know, that, we, that we've all learned, um, but also giving it a perspective that uh, hasn't been seen before. And that matters, reputation, representation, authenticity matters. Absolutely, and it matters so much to our kids in, in their formative years, especially being able to see people who, who look like them, um, who share their culture and traditions and, and really see that as, as um, something to be really proud of um, is so important. Tom, what about you? So I didn't, I was born in Oklahoma, but didn't live in Oklahoma as a child. Uh, but I definitely remember those um, situations in school where <laughs> you were, uh, it came time to learn about Indians and everybody kind of turns around and you're the one Indian getting class. It's like, oh, well, I guess now I get to be expert. But I was very fortunate that I have very um, culturally aware, very activist parents. And so uh, it was always drilled in my head from an early age to you know be proud of your culture and speak up on your culture. And I, <laughs> I was really, uh, uh, emboldened as a kid to correct my teachers. Um, and so when it came time for my kids to go through that, I really was involved more uh, just privately with the teachers, um, just to kind of say, hey, you know, can, can we talk about what you're going to be doing for this? And, you know, can, you know, I'm willing to you know, give you some information or some contact with some people that might be able to give you a, a better, clearer picture. Um, because I think the, the games in the way that it's portrayed really kind of trivializes the, the trauma of the event. Um, you know, if you grow up with it, it's just like, oh, it's like playing Red Rover, basically. I mean, that doesn't really kind of drive home what actually happened in history. Um, and I think that's uh, the portion of history that you learn about Native people in, in public education is is lacking severely. I mean, basically you learn about the Trail of Tears and that's about it, and maybe the land run, but that's really not even, we're not even part of that story. So when we're so underrepresented to begin with, uh, to have us be completely left out of, of a major portion of Oklahoma history is, uh, is frustrating. And so that's really why I uh, worked really closely with my children's teachers to kind of give a little bit more um, accurate or full story uh, of the history of the state. That's such a great idea to um, have those conversations with our kids' teachers um, to, to hopefully empower the teachers and empower our kids to share who they are and their culture and traditions proudly in the classroom. Um, I think that's, I think, becoming more uh, of a normal thing in, in our kids' classes today, and I hope that continues, but um, it's certainly because of parents like you who, who are willing to share that information and connect schools and teachers with those resources. Um, Sarah, I think you said earlier, you know, when we know better, we do better. And, um, and I hope that that's kind of the momentum that we're feeling and, and that will continue. 
So in addition to thinking about the way we teach history to our kids, it's also important to convey this message that native culture, people, traditions are, are not just from the past, but have vibrant modern applications and are really flourishing in our communities and the people around us. So we also wanted to talk today about some of the fun and exciting ways that families can experience and understand the variety of native cultures. Sarah, I'd love to start with you here. You've launched Indigenous Storytime through the Metropolitan Library System. This is a virtual opportunity, primarily for young kids, but it's also been great for my kids who are ages five to nine. They get to hear books and stories by Indigenous authors and illustrators read by Indigenous community members. So what was your inspiration to launch this program and what do you hope kids and the adults who are watching with them gain from the experience? So whenever I launched it, it was, or I was creating it, I was really going with the idea of the role that aunties play in native culture um, and just how I wanted people, I wanted to share that feeling with people. Um, the feeling that like my kids get every time that they're around all their aunties and they're getting loved on and they're learning from them all the time. So that's kind of what I started it out with. It originally was going to be called Auntie Storytime, but then I expanded it because I wanted to make sure that I was including as many different indigenous cultures as I could. Um, so it really came from that and then just trying to find a way that Native kids could see that representation and also for non-Native kids to have that interaction with our different cultures so that they realize that we're still here, that we are an active living culture, that we're not centered in you know 1800s black and white pictures. Um, that, you know, it's your friend down the street, it's, you know, your cousin, it's all this kind of stuff. So that was really where it came from. And I've been really excited about how many people I've gotten that can, you know, really enjoy it and learn and use it as teaching moments. And then how many of my friends and family and other people have come in and said, that is so cool that you know, I was able to hear a story from my tribe that I didn't even know that that was there, or I didn't realize that the library had indigenous stories, or, you know, I never heard about that oral tradition and that kind of stuff. So I've been really happy with how it's worked out. It's a really incredible program and it's uh, first Tuesday of the month, right? Yeah. And you can also access previous um, Indigenous Storytime videos as well. So yeah. highly encourage all of our listeners to go check that out. So Tom, um, for you as both an artist and a curator, you have explored so many types of art, um, but always with an intent upon featuring native history and culture. And as we heard in your bio, this is really a lifelong dedication for you. How are you helping create a viable market for native artists in Oklahoma? And why is this so important both for the artists and for the community to have the opportunity to view and purchase those works? Uh, well, so everything I've really done professionally uh, in the business side of Native art has always been about developing um, the market for Native art here in Oklahoma. 
unfortunately, despite having such a huge concentration of native artists, it's, it's really kind of a difficult market to sell work here. So, um, you know, I've, I've been, uh, I've worked for small museums, I've had my own gallery and I currently run another gallery. And in those times, I've always focused on artists that are doing very, um, it's a <laughs> terminology that is not always liked, but contemporary work in that, you know, they're not doing what most people would consider typical native art. Uh, and that's really an effort to show that um, we're a contemporary culture. Um, so much that is missing from public education is the contemporary picture of native people. Um, we're always portrayed in historical contexts, And so it's hard to kind of for kids to wrap their head around it's like, oh, these people existed in the past and they're never really referenced in the contemporary or even future. So I love the, those ideas of native futurisms, um, you know, native pop art, really kind of uh, native culture encroaching on um, the dominant culture. And I think it's important for native artists and the general public to see that just because this is through those pieces of artwork, that's how natives are expressing how they interact with a dominant culture. It shows, you know, the things that they identify with. Star Wars is a really great example. So many native artists identify with Star Wars. And if you really think about it, like it's a group of rebels that are fighting this imperial force that is coming to wipe them out of existence. I mean, it really is kind of a native story. So when you see things that native people identify with and, and that's reflected in their artwork, that shows those commonalities between native people and the general public. And those are the places where I think a lot of, um, a lot of uh, bridges can be built. Absolutely. I love that perspective, Tom. Thank you. Jenny, you and your team have recently moved into the highly anticipated First Americans Museum space in preparation for opening this September. We're all so excited. And I love that your entire curatorial team is native, which is extremely unique, gives such valued perspective and is helping create a really authentic experience as you get ready to welcome visitors. So will you share with us how this concept of experiencing and understanding both native history and modern day tradition and art will be a cornerstone for the new museum and what families can look forward to? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share with you all. You're actually kind of getting a sneak peek behind me. Um, this is a picture uh, looking down from the mezzanine level um, of the beautiful colors that in our exhibition wing that are, are gonna be installed over the summer. But I wanted to reference something that Tom had said talking about this huge information gap um, that exists and, and people understanding contemporary native um, peoples. Um, I think there was a research study that was done and that said that most uh, what Americans know about Native American people, uh, they learn through K through 12. And then, but a lot of that history, a lot of that uh, knowledge ends in the 1920s. So from the 1920s to, to today, there's a huge information gap. And a lot of times that narrative has been filled in by non-Native people. A lot of times it's Hollywood stories, you know, romanticism of what our cultures are. And so <clears throat> one of the, the, the most fantastic things about the First Americans Museum is like you said, we have an all Native curatorial team and we're, be, we're able to share about Native culture, um, traditions and practices from that perspective. So we're, we're very excited to be able to work with the 39 tribes of Oklahoma today who have been 
uh, who will be represented within and throughout um, First Americans Museum. Um, the museum includes um, an origins theater. We kind of start you off with the origin stories of our tribes in Oklahoma today. We move you through a historic timeline where you can see um, uh, you know, Indian removal, um, challenges our, our tribal people have faced, but then there's also value circles within that timeline where you can hear uh, from the people, from our tribal people and their perspective. So our resiliency, you know what I mean? It is a tragic story, but then there's also a lot of wonderful things that happened along the way, the strength of our people, the resilience of our people, um, how we were able to maintain our, our culture and identities throughout the year. So as you move through the timeline, you will also hear our value circles and the, and the stories from um, our folks. And then we also include, um, uh, we take you through the timeline and then we kind of move you into today and, and what contemporary indigenous peoples look like today and how we interact with um, culture as Tom was, was alluding to or through storytelling. Um, you know, how do we, how we, we have, have grown through the historic periods and then moved into today. And a lot of our cultures are warrior societies. Um, so um, we have a, a, a nice um, uh, veterans memorial, warriors memorial for people to interact with. And one of the coolest things about that exhibition piece is that it has a living database where we've worked with tribal leaders to represent, uh, to get veteran names from each tribe so that people can go in and look up veterans from their own tribes or the tribes in Oklahoma today. And that's gonna be something that will continue to develop and add to it. So it'll be kind of this living um, directory of native veterans. Um, we have a section of the museum that looks at games because um, you know our tribes are, they have, are full of different kinds of uh, indigenous games. Um, so there's just so much to look at, to understand, to feel you have a heavy history, which is just part of the story, but then there's also a level of um, resiliency and hope and then looking to who we are today and then also moving forward. I mean, it's a living history and it's something that continue, you know, that will continue to grow and we'll add to it. And then in 2022, we will be opening our, um, or maybe possibly into 2023, um, our Children's Discovery Center, which is a 3D pop-up world. And it has these fantastic um, animal guides that will guide you through the experience, but it's a two level experience where kids and family members can um, climb through um, different levels and then also interact. It doesn't matter what generation, it's open for everybody. It has something for everybody, whether you're a teenager or your grandparent or your parent or a kid, um, you'll be able to find something uh, to experience in the Family Discovery Center. So we're really excited about that as well. But um, first we got to open the doors, right? <laughs> so we're looking towards our grand opening um, September 18th and 19th of this year. And after I believe this has been a 20 plus year project and to finally see um, it come to fruition is just so exciting. And it's, it is a world-class destination and we're, we're, we're super excited to share it with people of Oklahoma City and the world for sure. And we are so fortunate <laughs> to have this museum here in our city. I am so excited and I know Metro family will be sharing more information from you all as we get closer to that opening. We cannot wait. Um, so you guys have shared some great ideas already, but I'd love to hear from each of you if you have other favorite places or events in Oklahoma where families can experience native culture or art. Tom, what would you what would you suggest for families? Oh wow, uh, I'll try to take them all up. Uh, so 
I will say the tribes have done an amazing job of creating some really um, beautiful and educational um, locations, uh, cultural centers. The Chickasaws have a, an amazing uh, cultural center. The Cherokees have Cherokee Heritage Center. That's that's great. You can really interact. They have um, cultural performers or um, teachers, and they teach them traditional crafts, and you really get a, a more in-depth or hands-on idea of, of Native culture in those locations. But I, I mean, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention art galleries. There aren't very many, surprisingly, in Oklahoma for, um, for Native artists, but uh, I would definitely say Exhibit C is a great place. Um, what we do is so much education, um, just because we can definitely see the need for First Americans Museum because we have people come through all the time and they just want to see Native culture. and. You know, we're one of the few locations in Oklahoma City where that's that's possible um, right now. And so we're very excited. Uh, and so we do our little form of informal education. We answer people's questions and show them what we, you know, Native culture is today. But uh, the bigger picture, I think, is going to be great uh, when First Americans Museum open. We're all very excited for that. For sure. Great ideas, Tom. Thank you. Sarah, what about you? So there's always, you know, local powwows, obviously not right now, <laughs> um, but, you know, after we are able to get back to um, some sort of normal, I'm sure powwows are going to start popping back up. Um, so there's always those opportunities and, you know, depending on the powwow, I mean, there's always opportunities for people that are non-Indigenous to go to those. Um, like Tom was saying, the cultural centers that are around are amazing. Um, I can't wait for fam. I got to go on a virtual um, like walkthrough of it and it was amazing. Um, besides that, there's also um, the Culture Hub that is run by We the People. They've had different vendor fairs there. Um, they have indigenous groups that come in and they'll do presentations, stuff like that. Um, so that's a really great place to learn. And I know like even like Gilcrease up in, I think Tulsa, that one has had a lot of my matriarch sisters art has been displayed there. Um, there's the Red Earth Museum. That one's a little bit more traditional <laughs> um, kind of stuff that you'd see at, you know, the Red Earth Festival, but there are still those opportunities too that are out there. Those are great suggestions, Sarah, thank you. Jenny, as we're waiting for FAM to open, where can we go in the meantime? <laughs> well, that's a, those are good questions. I mean, I echo um, what they both have already shared, as well as, um, you know, I do think festivals will be coming back. A lot of our tribes hold different festivals throughout the year, which are always a great time to see demonstrations as well as eat indigenous food. Um, and I think uh, uh, most of the tribes will list that kind of details on their on their social media or the website. So in addition to the to what, has already been said, you know, I would say keep an eye out for those festivals. I think um, once the vaccinations and COVID kind of comes, slows down that all of those things will be coming back and it'll be, it'll be a great time once again for everybody. Absolutely. And you are so right that food is always a great way to experience <laughs> any culture and kids can typically get on board with that pretty easily. Um, so we're living in these very weird times right now, um, chaotic and often divisive. But what are some of the ways that you all have seen storytelling, art, or cultural experiences bring people together 
or encourage questions and dialogue and maybe even promote healing. Sarah, will you start? Sure. Um, so for me personally, I always feel the best whenever I'm surrounded by my culture or whenever I'm surrounded by, you know, my indigenous sisters, that matriarch. Um, and I know that it can sometimes be a toxic place, but I've seen a lot of different places or spaces opening up online and virtually starting to lead these conversations and tell these stories and allowing people that don't know about them to interact and ask questions and have good discussions. Um, of course, there's always going to be the bad parts of that. But I feel like a lot of the things that keep people in the dark about what's going on um, or kind of make it to where people can't understand each other is that they just don't have the opportunity to ask some of the questions or they don't know who they can ask the questions to who are safe people that are willing to educate, um, who have that emotional bandwidth to be able to do that um, at the time. And I think having some of these virtual spaces open up is allowing the people to have questions to meet with the people that are willing to answer and educate um, so that they can have those conversations. And also just kind of bringing to light some of our history that people aren't exposed to, aren't being taught. Um, we kind of saw it with um, not so much indigenous side, but with the Tulsa race massacre. Now we know a lot more about it and more people are being exposed to that information that had no idea. Um, so I see that happening a lot with indigenous communities too. Thank you for sharing that, Sarah. Tom, you talked earlier about art being a bridge. How, how have you seen that working, especially over the last year? Uh, well, I feel like a, a lot of contemporary uh, Native art um, is kind of serving as, as stand-in education. Um, and a lot of what I do is, is that way. Um, like I said, I, I try to utilize uh, pop iconography um, and pair that with Native culture uh, in a way to let people identify with that piece, uh, with whatever they recognize in it and then use that to kind of add in a little native culture and story to that. And it's kind of a Trojan horse <laughs> way to look at it. Uh, you kind of sneak in the education with something pretty or something that's engaging. And I feel like that's probably the most effective way to really bridge those gaps because it's not, it's something that the person wants to engage with anyway. And you're not kind of berating them or yelling at them. You're just like, hey, so you like this? Well, let me tell you how that relates to Native people. And, and it's incidental learning, I think, is uh, probably better than when you're trying to, you know, really drill something into someone's head. I think when they're more open and receptive that way. That's such a great point. Jenny, what would you add? Uh, well, I think the bridge building, I mean, storytelling, art, all those things are important in terms of bridge building, for sure, and being able to create spaces where people can have dialogue and, and ask questions. And we're such a small percentage of the overall population in this country that we need advocates, we need partners, we need allies to help tell our story, be supportive of our causes, create awareness um, on important issues that face um, Indian country. 
So, I mean, uh, these are small arenas that we can begin to have those conversations that, that um, don't exist anywhere else. And so I think that's the value of, of, of these things and, and the opportunities that are ahead of us um, to become partners and to, and to really help create a better environment for all of us. Such a great point, Jenny, thank you. As we close out our conversation today, I'd love to hear from you all how you instill pride in your native culture or traditions in your children or children in your lives. And how does that help give you hope for how this next generation will carry on that heritage? Jenny, will you start? Uh, yeah, I am. I have three uh, daughters and I, you know, allowing them to be a part and to participate in traditional events and, and our, in our culture and our tribes is one way that we instill that. They are all artists. And so um, <laughs> it's supporting their efforts to do research or to, to, to delve into the community to find um, direction for their art subjects is always fun. But really it's that, that community perspective, allowing them to be around our communities to be able to engage um, whether it's through art, through dance, or through um, uh, ceremony, uh, allowing them to participate at that level and getting to know our elders. And, um, you know, that's, to me, you connect connect that way and, and there's no stopping it. <laughs> you know what I mean? The value, the love that's given to them, that they receive and that they're able to give out is a beautiful thing. I love that. That's so wonderful. Tom, what about you? Uh, well, I mean, I work directly with my kids um, just because that was the blueprint that I had from my parents, just really making sure that they know their culture and that uh, they're prepared with that information that they're not gonna get anywhere else. Um, but I think one of the things that gives me most hope is that seeing tribes now able to tell their own story rather than have it being dictated to them by academics or museums, we're finally able to kind of say, okay, well, this was our uh, experience and so with that you know agency to tell our own story that that gives us a lot of uh, um, identity that's such a great point and that's so important Sarah what about you so I do kind of what Tom um, was talking about doing um, I make sure that I know what my kids are being taught in school. Um, I talk with their teachers, offer resources. If it's something that they can't, you know, get around because of, you know, school standards, then, you know, I make sure I re-educate them at home. Um, I try to decolonize as much as I can our thinking and language um, and teach them and have them learn and be around like indigenous people that are doing great things that are being active that are, you know, that they can really relate to and see how vibrant our culture really is and how vibrant other cultures within native tribes really are. Wonderful. Thank you guys so much for your time today, uh, for your valuable perspective and all the ways you're each making such a positive impact on our community and the families in our community. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.